Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. When you pick up some scratches because you want a fun break, the playful way you scratch is the next choice you should make. You can make your dog's leg kick and scratch with that. You could even grab a laser pointer and use your cap. You can build yourself a homemade scratching machine or use a piece from your chest set. Go ahead, grab the queen. Scratch like a DJ with your record player. A cactus could scratch off that scratchable layer because when it comes to scratching, there's a million playful ways. Thanks to scratches from the California lottery, a little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase, play, or claim. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is author of My Dearest Darkest, which I have talked about previously on the show, Kayla Cottingham. Her most recent book, This Delicious Death, is out now. Welcome to the show! Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about horror and also this specific film and how much it did, in fact, scar me for life. <laughs> uh, I'm so excited. And Mary Beth is, like, champing at the bit to get to it. But before we do jump into that deep end, let's uh, let's let's start with your, with your books. Um, I'm in the middle of reading both. I'm listening to My Dearest Darkest on my trip, and I have... Download the other one for my Kindle. So oh, I'm, nice. I'm I'm in the midst of reading them. I haven't finished them yet, so no spoilers. But can you tell us our listeners a little bit about? Let's start with this delicious death. Can you tell us a little bit a little bit about that one? Sure. Um, so this delicious death is a YA sapphic horror novel about a group of girls who have undergone this physical change after 
getting sick during a worldwide pandemic. Obviously, no relation to the real world. Spoiler alert, hugely related to the real world. Um, but instead of dealing with the effects of, say, long COVID, they instead become flesh-eating ghouls. Um, and after scientists are able to manufacture something called synflesh that allows them to eat synthetic human flesh, they're able to reassimilate into society. And since they've all just graduated high school, they decide to do what any good cannibal would do and go to a fictionalized version of Coachella. And things go decent for the first like five minutes, and then they immediately kill and eat a boy by accident. And so it goes a little off the rails after that. <laughs> just got to that point where, where they just feasted on one of the band members. <laughs> yeah, it happens to the best of us, you know? It, it does. does, it does. And I was so I was reading when I was reading this, I was like, boy, it's it's such a, a nice metaphor for like, our COVID response. But then I'm also thinking, boy, I would have been one that would have been hollowed because I have long COVID. And I'm just like, that would be really weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, at least at least you don't have to like actively eat fake liver all the time to live. So, you know, pros and cons. Positives. Yeah. Pros cons. <laughs> Well, and I know, I know Mary Beth is, um, she, uh, cause you've talked about this on the podcast before. You loved My Dear Starkest, and I'm about halfway through it at this point. But you had a story about, about finding it, Mary Beth. I did. I was like halfway through telling it before we started recording, but I was in a Barnes and Noble just looking for, but like randomly looking. And this very cute queer woman comes up to me and she goes, Do you by any chance like queer horror? And I look and I go, Absolutely. I was like, and I was immediately clocked from across the Barnes and Noble and she led <laughs> me to your book. It was like book of the month at Barnes and Noble or something. It was like the release of the month. And she was like, you'll love it. And she gave me all these comparisons. She was like, she was like, it's the craft, but with cosmic horror. And I was like, give me the book, give it to me in my hands. And she was correct. I loved every minute of that book. It's gay. Like a lot of your work is very gay. And I love oh, that. Yeah, it's all of gay. it, in fact. <laughs> it's all gay. And it's so great to like read about these stories of like gay, like complicated gay women who are also monsters, maybe sometimes. And it's oh, yeah. just like, what drew you to, I mean, that's kind of a weird question, but like what drew you to wanting to write about like queer women in these scenarios and like where like did your journey kind of start in wanting to write about these kinds of characters i had the sort of thing where i feel like horror chose me i didn't choose horror where when i was originally querying my dearest darkest it was pitched as dark realistic fantasy which is like not quite what i would call it these days and at the time, I was doing that because even though it had a lot of horror elements, I didn't think that horror was going to be particularly marketable. Mm. And I also thought of horror mm. as being like, it was a boy's genre. It was like, that's where Stephen King writes. It's, you know, that's, that's <sighs> horrors for guys, basically. And whatever long convoluted genre I have created is for me. <laughs> um, and ultimately, over the course of the publishing process, it was like, no, this is this is horror. And horror is, in fact, a lot more flexible than I was giving it credit for. And it allows for a space to tell stories that I think you can't really tell in a lot of other genres, because you're given so much freedom in terms of what you can do, both in terms with like, the visceral reactions that you give a reader and also um, being able to play with metaphor in a way that maybe wouldn't be quite as acceptable in a more mainstream like fantasy novel per se, where I don't know if I could like in a romantic comedy get away with 
you know, girls who have just eaten a boy having like a cute little, oh no, our hands touched as we were reaching for the same heart or whatever. Like, <laughs> it gives you a little bit more fodder to play with. <laughs> well, as I was, I was reading these, these books, I'm like, I wish when I was younger, I had this kind of queer literature because maybe I, I would have been more comfortable exploring my, my sexuality until I got way much older. But like, I, I just, I think that's, that's great. And I'm glad that they're, you know, you're focusing on YA because I, I think that there needs to be more queer horror literature out there. And so it makes me happy. Yeah. I also, I love writing about teenagers just because their emotions are so raw and intense in a way that I think a lot of those experiences that you have as a teenager will always stick with you a little bit more than the ones that you have as an adult, because it's the first time that you're experiencing them as a teenager. It's your first crush. It's, you know, the first time that you experience maybe a person close to you dying. It's like all of those really, really intense emotions that being able to dive into those in a reflective way as an adult now makes YA super rewarding to write for me. And I think people don't give YA enough credit for like what it is and the stories people are telling just because it says young adult does not mean they these books are not dealing with like some crazy stuff like i have read some very intense YA like ya novels and it's just like just because they have that on there does not mean they're not worth you know diving into especially in horror ya horror is so good Mm -hmm. it's been having a moment yeah i i feel very lucky to be in ya horror right now because there are so many incredible books coming out where it's like you meet the most unassuming charming 25 year old and then they've written like the most scary thing you've ever written and it's like oh my god that's and this is for chill teenagers oh my god (laughs) it's the best Wait, so what are some upcoming YA horror books we should be on the lookout for? Um, so I got to read an early copy of The Spirit Bears Its Teeth by Andrew Joseph White. Oh, I can't wait. I just requested that on NetGalley because he wrote Hell Followed Us Here, which was another one of like my fucking obsessions last year. And I've been so excited for the new one to come out. Yeah, oh, it, good. it bangs. It's so oh. good. <laughs> I like, I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm like two thirds of the way through it right now. And it's like all I think about. (laughs) Oh my god, oh god. No, another hyper fixation for me. Oh, I can't wait. And then another one I'm super excited about is Monstrous by Jessica Lewis, which is um, another queer horror um, for teens that's about this girl who basically is taken by this cult in this very white town um, where she and her family, she is black basically gets offered up as a sacrifice for this cult and she survives that. And the God creature thing that they're trying to sacrifice her to basically is like, would you like to perhaps be terrible and kill and maim? And she's like, I would love to kill and maim and get revenge. And it's amazing. (laughs) Hell yeah. So it's just like this very long, awesome revenge story of this girl who befriends this like weird snake creature god thing who kind of becomes like a pseudo father to her. It's amazing. (laughs) As you do. (laughs) Yeah, like you do. You know when you get adopted by a giant snake in the woods? (laughs) I wish I did. Honestly, I wish I had that experience. Yeah, I I think that the support of a snake dad would have gotten me really far in life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, not related to snake dads i'm so sorry i couldn't think of a good segue um so when did you know you wanted to be a writer 
I was one of those kids who, like, given a lined notebook, was like, well, it's time for me to create the most unhinged stories imaginable. So it would be like, you know, it would start off as a very sort of classic five-year-old story of, like, the dog goes to the park, but then it was like, the dog steals a baby. The dog takes the baby to a river, and you're like, what is going on with this kid? Um, so I definitely was, I was into writing very early. It was sort of my way of getting a little bit of escapism because I am the youngest child by 10 years. So my siblings at that point were a lot older than me and did not want to deal with this like foolish infant running around the house. So I was like, great, I'm going to make up some little stories about really, really weird stuff and it will work to entertain me. But I just kind of kept going all the way until I was, I think, 13 or 14 when I wrote my first like book, quote unquote, um, and just was cranking out manuscripts after that, and I queried like four or five times as a teenager. Wow. Um, not, not successfully, mind you, but I certainly gave it a shot. <laughs> I was gonna say, you, you still tried, which is awesome. Wow. Wow. Yeah, at one point, I remember being like, my book is, uh, a ripoff of Percy Jackson. I bet the best thing to do would be to query Rick Riordan's agent. <laughs> And so me, age 14, was Googling, like, who represents Rick Riordan? And will they represent me? (laughs) That's amazing. Did you ever hear back? Did you ever get in touch with someone? I did, like, find the person, but they did not respond to my query, Uh. which is not a huge um, surprise, considering it was just thinly veiled fan fiction of a book they already represented. (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. Oh, wait a little bit. So you wrote you wrote a lot of fan fiction. Yeah, it was definitely like oh, I wouldn't yeah. have called it fan fiction at the time. I would have been like, yeah. "This is p- very original work." But it was mostly just me being like, "Maximum Ride is the best thing I've ever read." I will now change everything about the appearances of the characters, but nothing about the plot itself. <laughs> or like a little bit of Warrior Cats being like, "Oh I'm, my god, <laughs> I love the idea of these cats getting into these like horrific visceral fights where they tear each other's guts out and stuff." <laughs> God, Maximum Ride was another big fixation of mine for a while. I was really, it was, is it James, was it James Patterson? It is James Patterson. It was like early James Patterson before he like started tacking randos on. Yeah. (laughs) God, what a weird series of books. Oh, James Patterson. So bizarre. And it was so obvious when they started having ghost writers because the plot was like fairly streamlined until you got to like book four and suddenly it was like we have to go to the arctic and say save the penguins and it yeah, was that's like when i stopped that's when i stopped reading them i think i was like nah this this is no longer the books that i like to read <laughs> yeah i was like this is this is dumb i can't get behind this <laughs> so when did you how did you get into horror like what kind of what's your horror background have you always been a horror fan i think that it was sort of the same thing with when i was querying where i thought horror was like that was a boy genre and so i didn't feel particularly welcome in the horror space but that didn't Mm -hmm. stop me from being really into it in general where i was a huge creepypasta fan I had unfettered internet access if that is not evidenced by the everything about me and I went hog wild reading about the most deranged stuff. It'd be like, oh, Jeff the Killer, I love this. Like, yes, please tell me more about Slender Man. 
uh, I would have nightmares for weeks and weeks and weeks or like the Russian sleep experiment. So I was just consumed by reading these like online things because they were what was accessible to me as like a teenage girl sitting in my parents' house. Yeah. Because like the library wasn't super close by. My high school library was not particularly well stocked in any of the stuff I wanted to read. So I found like... I wouldn't almost like a, a home away from home in creepypasta. <laughs> Whoa. How did you like stumble into creepypasta? What was like your gateway into creepypastas? Oh, this is dark to admit. I was a huge Tumblr user. Fuck yeah. I was too. No shame. It- yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I followed a couple of like horror adjacent accounts and they would post like uh-huh. creepypastas. And so I would just like go through the tag and read as many as I could in a night. And some of them were really good. And some of them were like those two word horror stories that's like, oh, no, he said. It's here, the meat worm, and stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a perfect story. That's it. That's all you need. It's flawless. That's I like did not make that up. That there's a really wonderful tweet about that somewhere. (laughs) Because you were you were a fan of creepypastas, right, Mary Beth? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I like read a lot of R No Sleep. Yeah, which is like it's like creepypasta, Jason. It's like people telling stories like they're real but it's kind of assumed that they're fictional but they frame them like they're actually happening and i yeah and my brother was really into them too so we were like i didn't like the Im- like the images got to me like the the creepy husky dog one oh yeah like any any that. like creepy pasta with like an image associated there was like a squidward one where he like it was like a haunted spongebob episode and it's like it's like so over the top and graphic, but there's like a weird picture of Squidward's eyes really tiny with it. And that terrified me. So it was like, if there was an image associated with it, I couldn't look at the picture because it would just be seared into my brain. Um, but yes, I was a big reading the creepiest shit I could find on the internet type type of gal, for sure. And I, I missed all of that being a little bit older. Like I, I always, I always wonder what it'd be like to be a teenager and, and finding stuff on the internet and, and playing around in that kind of sphere of like fiction, but also it feels real at the same time. Cause uh, I mean, I was, I would have been like twenties, I guess when like this was happening. So I, I, I kind of sad I missed it. Honestly, it was fun. It was like, and in a way it was always using the sort of the classic horror device of, Oh, this happened to a person I know, or mm, this yep. was, it's basically urban legends to me four years ago, and it always made it feel so much more like yeah. pressing and intense. And so I thought that was always so cool. <laughs> it was like, wow, your uncle was in the Russian sleep experiment where they started <laughs> trying to. I forget, you forget even where that one went. I feel like it might have gone cannibalism, but I might it just did. be and always like, thinking cannibalism and like ripping people apart. It was just like all kinds of weird, fucked up stuff. That's happening. it. Yeah, <laughs> that's the <laughs> stuff. <laughs> that's that's the ticket. <laughs> So you you read a lot of creepypastas and you were in that space and you were writing. Did, did you watch a lot of horror movies growing up at all? So I was a very reluctant horror movie watcher because okay. so I have an anxiety disorder that makes a jump scare my ultimate ne- nemesis. Like the second oh, that a creature jumps okay. out at me, I am like gone. I'm done. I've had enough. I like have to go sit down. <laughs> 
Um, and a lot of the horror that I remember watching when I was younger was like full of jump scares. And so I was immediately like, this is not for me. I, even if I like the sort of darker storytelling and the elements of horror, I can't deal with, with jump scares, but Um. I like would watch horror movies, but only in group settings and typically at sleepovers, um, which is where I wound up watching 30 days of night. But I never like was looking for horror movies. Um, the closest I got was more like the classic cheesy TV stuff. Mm. So it was whatever was like available on Netflix. So I would watch like all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I would watch like X Files yeah. and stuff like that. And that was kind of as close hey, as I got. Those, are incre- those there are some really fucking scary X Files episodes. There are. So I'm oh a big yeah. Buffy person, so I don't know, but X Files is scary as shit. And I know that Buffy is very good. So that's still. Are you into horror movies now or you still can't like you're still kind of a less of a horror movie type person? It it still kind of depends on the horror movie. So okay. like if it's something like Hereditary, like I loved Hereditary and I love cool. horror that has like kind of a comedy edge. So Megan was like my favorite mm. movie I've seen in recent history. That was cool. ever uh, such a slay, honestly, good for her. And I like it really what got me more into horror movies was more female geared horror. So the ones that I did seek out as a teenager were things like Jennifer's Body and Ginger Snaps and The Craft and stuff like that, where I felt like I I felt like I could relate a little bit more because I was like, I too am a feral teenage girl with incredible sapphic longing. I would love to watch this. Oh yeah. Uh, so you, I know that because you're talking about creepypastas, have you seen We're All Going to the World's Fair? No, I have not. That's one I think oh, you should put on your on your list. You should. It's not jump scare and it's nope. not like traditional horror. It's weird and it's got like a really weird vibe in a good way. But it's yeah, you should definitely check that out. I'll have to look that one up because yeah, I feel like I've heard the name in passing, but I haven't actually looked up what it's about. I do the classic thing where I like to look up a movie's plot on Wikipedia before I watch it to make yeah. sure that it's not too scary. <laughs> I have all of my friends do that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think this one will will get you. That there's really no jump scares in it. It's just. Um, but I, I think you'll find you'll relate to it because I know you were relating to it, Mary Beth, a lot because of the the creepy pasta element of it and living on the internet, right? Yeah, growing up on the internet and also like being a, a kid who might be queer and you don't really know how to deal with that as a kid and you kind of just like look for people online and sometimes you don't always find the most savory of people online when you are searching for community. So, it's good. But then I also, since you read a lot, what are some of the scariest books you've ever read or like books you've like that have really scared you? Ooh, this one's tough because I feel like a lot of the time I read horror and I like, I just get really excited about it where I'm like, this is so creepy. And it's more of an excitement reaction as opposed to a fear one. But I do remember reading, oh my gosh, what is the title? It's mm, The Diviners. Um, Yes. So it's The Diviners by Libba Bray has this extremely creepy ghost story woven into it. And there's this moment near the beginning of the book where it's like, the POV switches to a random character who is walking through this abandoned warehouse and is being terrorized by this ghost. And it like legitimately kept me up all night because I was so freaked out by it. Whoa. And then I also remember reading like Firestarter by Stephen King as a teenager, where I had a really, uh, a love of paperback horror 
um, that I could get for $5 at the bookstore. And so I remember like absolutely loving Firestarter. I thought that was the coolest book ever. It's a good book. I like that one. When you want to have fun and have scratchers to scratch, there's a playful way you can do just that. Scratch with the key or acrylic nail. Scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail. Use a belt buckle from your friend Lamar. Or scratch with your pick while you play guitar. You can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways. Scratchers from the California lottery. A little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim. Okay, so we've talked about your creative work and your horror history, but Kayla, what movie did you bring with you today for us to discuss? Yeah, so I brought 30 Days of Night, the 2007 horror masterpiece of so much blood and so many vampires in Alaska. Yes, yes. Um, So I'm going to read a brief synopsis of the film for everybody. In the far northern hemisphere, wow, that was hilarious. Smear. The far northern hemisphere, the small town of Barrow, Alaska, experiences a solid month of darkness every year. Though most of the residents head south for the winter, some townspeople remain behind. However, those that stay regret their decision when one year hungry vampires descend on Barrow to feed. Bum, bum, bum. All right. <laughs> so take us back, Kayla. How old were you when you saw this? How did you see it? What about it scared you? Give us your horror story. Yeah, so I, as I previously mentioned, was not the sort of kid who was looking for horror movies, but I was the sort of kid who loved to succumb to peer pressure. So I was at a classic all-girl sleepover, you know, the kind where everyone drinks a lot of soda, you reveal the most traumatic moments (laughs) in your life, and then you slowly get um, lured into watching a horror movie. That was the scenario here. So we were in my friend Forrest's basement, and she was a big fan of going to, like, the blockbuster and sort of looking through to just try and find the creepiest horror movie she could just to freak me out, and pulled this one off the new release sort of shelf. I think I was 13 at the time, and so we all gathered around the TV, and she was like, well, Kayla, you'll like this one because it has vampires in it. And this was also roughly around the time that I was super into Twilight. Mm. And I was like, amazing. Vampires, we're gonna get kissing, we're gonna get... Self, self-loathing. It's going to be amazing. And then that was not really what happened. <laughs> so the movie starts and I was like, Alaska, what a great setting. And it is a great setting because the whole concept of the 30 days of night is good. But also, boy, the the snow makes for such a great place to put blood. It sure does. And there is so much of it in this movie. <laughs> There's so much blood in this movie. So at what point were you all of a sudden going, oh, no, this is not what I thought I was signing up for? Uh, So the movie starts and uh, you're introduced to the main character whose name is Eben with a B, which is something that I thought the whole movie his name was Evan and that people just maybe had like a little bit of a stuffy nose as they were saying it. So they're like, well, it's it's here with Eben. (laughs) But it turned out that was just his actual Christian name. And he's like going around the town doing a bunch of cop stuff like you do in Alaska the day that everyone decides to flee 
your town before it goes into big night. And there's a scene where there's like this creepy figure shows up and starts killing dogs. Uh huh. And I am like a huge dog person. I usually am the one who Googles like, does the, Does dog, the dog die, die in this movie? And it was right off the bat, just like, we are stabbing huskies. <laughs> like, really like, close like, to the beginning like, of the movie. And I was like, axes. I don't know if there's going to be as much kissing in this one as I want. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, necking, was, but not in the way that's any fun for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Copious amounts no, of necking, yes. There's just, there's no, there's no kissing. <laughs> No, there's one uh, kiss, but it's very I was going to say, there's one poignant the kiss at the end. One poignant but... <laughs> kiss at the end, and it's very sad, but uh, yeah, there isn't, yeah, ooh. That image of the, after the dogs have been killed and they find him, and there's the one that has, like, its jaws, like, distended from it. It's like, yeah. that, like, lingers in my mind. It's like, oh, that is a, a horrific image right there. Yeah, it's always rough. And then they do the fun thing in this movie where they capitalize not only on we're going to murder dogs really close to the beginning of the movie, but we're also going to have not one, but two creepy child scenes, which is such a classic horror movie thing. But at the time, as a person who didn't watch horror movies, I was like, oh, there's this little girl in the store. I hope she's okay. Oh, no. <laughs> and then she looks up and reveals that she's, like, covered in blood and has the, like, sharp little teeth that the vampires have and her eyes are black and you're just like, no! <laughs> and then later in the movie, there's, like, another little kid just, like, wandering shell-shocked. <laughs> I'm done playing I'm with done this playing one. I'm done playing with this one. Wanna play with me now? I can literally recite this stupid fucking movie, like, word <laughs> for word. It's fucking embarrassing. <laughs> it's just, like... Oh my god, they really, it's such a classic creepy kids shot. And then they have to, oh my god, they have to try and take an axe to this kid. And it's so, it's so wild to watch. Because it's doing the, like, little kid skittering thing around. It's because she's a vampire at this point, And you're just like, no, no thank you. But you made it through the entire movie at the, at the slumber party? I did, shockingly. There was... I think part of it is that because we were 13-year-olds, we were, like, continuously trying to sort of make jokes, even though we were super scared. So there's, like, one scene where there's, like, this bald sort of buff vampire who acts as, like, the muscle for the group. Mm -hmm. And he, like, is revealed to have blood sort of from his nose all the way down his throat. And we kept joking about how it's like, oh, I got to put on my little blood scarf before I go out in the Alaska cold. (laughs) And the like, the blood scarf joke went on and on and on. We played the hell out of it, but it it was just like, oh, he's only killing that person because he's cold. He's got to warm up with a little bit of that nice cozy, cozy crimson. (laughs) That's incredible. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. No, it's, it's a, it's a truly thrilling film. And I think the thing with it is that it, it did kind of bring me into a zone of, realizing I do like creature horror because there's something unique about a creature feature that a lot of other horror doesn't have where I think that creating a fun, fresh monster, especially out of something like a vampire, is hard to do. But they did it in such a way that I was very on board with the actual world building of the vampires in this universe. Yeah, I do love the vampires in this, and I love the way that they're they're filmed. I love the the kind of language they made up for for them to have, so that they have that ability to talk. 
but also they really uh, did a good job of matching, I think, the artwork and the comic book that it's based on to like really kind of fit, fit that tone. It, it surprises me re- on, on a rewatch just how uh, how close to that book in terms of like the, the look of the vampires are. They're they're frightening. And this was, as you mentioned, this did come out at a time of like Twilight. So people weren't thinking of vampires as these feral monstrous creatures it was more of a romanticized type look at them at that point and this was a movie that just came out and just said nah man we're just gonna have everyone's throats torn out (laughs) overhead shot of the entire town getting massacred like it's just it's chef kiss just all over the place it's like that scene specifically where like the entire town is getting just like ripped apart is it's so i would almost call it camp (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because it's so much, but it's awesome. <laughs> I mean, we all know how much I love this movie. I am trying to be restrained in my in my excitement about talking about this movie because I watched this movie, I think I was 15, and it was just out in Blockbuster, and it was like, my dad, when I would go to my dad's, we would like rent a movie and watch something, and he would let me pick it, and I picked this. I, I picked 30 Days of Night because I loved vampires, and I was like, this looks awesome and gross. And so we watched it, and I was just, like, immediately, like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. Like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. Like, fuck hot vampires. Because I was a big (laughs) hot vampire girl. Like, big Twilight person. Like, I made a t-shirt to the release of the last last book. Like, I I was a freak for Twilight. But then when I was like, wait, feral vampires? Wait, that's even cooler. And so I promptly made my parents take me to Borders, I bought the movie, and then I made my parents watch it with me that night, and then I watched it again that night in my room on my laptop. And then I watched it the next day. So I watched it four times in one weekend, and it was, like, my comfort movie that I would watch whenever, like, I felt sad, and it was a movie I showed all of my friends, and, like, no one really liked it as much as I did. They thought it was really gross, um, which is fair. But it was, like, this movie that I just watched all the time. And it was, like, a combination of loving how bleak it was and also thinking that Josh Hart and it was really sexy, but also Mm. Melissa George, who plays um, Stella. And I think it was just, like, I was very horny and very into gross stuff. And I think it all kind of conflated onto this movie, which is really funny to say. But (laughs) I still love this movie. Like, I understand criticisms of it. I know there's, like, oh, it's not a perfect movie, but I just think it – David Slade, right – that's the director yeah. who did um, Hard Candy as the Hard director, candy. and I just mm-hmm. I I think he's a really a really good eye, like really good aesthetic, like good sense of like filming. And this movie is so stylish, and every kill is so fucking good, and everything about it I think is framed so well. I think it loses steam, and we can talk about it in the back half. But I just think like it's just you get that sense of like isolation. And both, like, so much space and so little space. Like, that claustrophobia at the same time. And I just... It's just, like, so... Everything about it is just, like, terror-inducing. It's terrifying. Yeah, it's almost... It's, like, every time they have to try and go from one building to another building, like, it's heart-pounding tension. It is really well done. Especially when you get the, like, the scene in the blizzard where they're trying to get to the... Yes! The, like, supermarket or whatever. That was terrifying to me yeah it's he's a he's a really good visual director uh and it's interesting because then he would after this go on to direct a twilight saga movie eclipse which is oh that's right i forgot that i also totally forgot about that and honestly eclipse is the best one in my opinion so like me too i agree 
knocked it out of the park, man. Yeah, and he like it's he's he's a, he's an interesting director because he did um, the Bandersnatch episode of Black Mirror, which was really good. Oh yeah, he, he came out swinging with Hard Candy, which is a, a wild film. He has a movie that has been. In pro post production for like it feels like years. I just don't know if with all of the like COVID stuff, if it just got kind of shelved. But he has like an adaptation of a book called Dark Harvest that was supposed oh to come God, out like right. two years ago, and it's still who knows where it's at. And it, I, I love his work. I just wish there was more of it. You know, he does a lot of TV though. He's directed a lot of episodes of TV. Yeah, he does a lot of TV. But he has a very good visual eye, and I think he fits the aesthetic really well of what Steve Niles, Steve Niles and Ben and Ben Temple Smith, like the comic creators, really kind of honed in on. I think that that he really captured that aesthetic both with the way Barrow looks, but also the vampires and just the just the overall feeling of it. Yeah, there's a there's a scene I always remember of um, the like lead vampire's girlfriend tries to go into this house where Eben is, and he like turns a sun lamp on her, mm-hmm. and it burns um, a good chunk of her face and her body, and it's like the it's very stark because they have the very white skin, but then it's just fully burned on one side. It's really good dramatic like visual mm. effects. That make it clear that that you know this is this is a bad scenario for them, but also I think it's like I don't know they show that the lead vampire still cares about her. Yeah, I don't know they like because the the vampires are not human, but they also still have like I don't know it's interesting. They're fun to watch. Yeah, <laughs> they are. Well, I, they're very. Fun. I think I think what this this movie does a little bit better than the graphic novel does. The graphic novel goes into a lot. There's like more kind of lore going on in the graphic novel. And I think it was smart to cut it out of the movie because I think it's too much for the movie, just in terms of like certain characters. And it gets kind of touched upon in the sequel movie that was like direct-to-video and is not very good. But they do a really good job of honing in on these characters and adding characters to the story. Like Billy, his sidekick, who ends up having this like really tragic story. But they really do a good job of building the dread in this movie before we even see a vampire. Like we open up on Ben Foster is this incredible character. It's like a Cajun accent, which in the comic book, there's like Cajun characters. So it makes sense that they have the accent, but it doesn't really matter. Whatever. It's just like, that's too much information. Sorry. Um, But um, you know, he's walking towards the town and it's already setting something up really strange is happening then we have the satellite phones being like all the satellite phones being burned the dogs being killed the helicopter being torn apart the power going like the power and communication going out like all of these things are just like what the fuck is going on like you know something bad is coming but i think they do a really incredible job of building that tension before having the big reveal because the big reveal is the bird's eye view part and they do it's so earned when they do this that like they have all these horrifying moments like they find Gus the guy at the electric like who runs like the satellite part um of like the satellite building off in the middle of the snow they find his head on a stake and then they're oh god right <laughs> they they see the shadows of the vampires on the horizon and someone attacks their car but they're like what the fuck was that and then when they pull into town they hear the guns going off and that's when everything starts going to hell like the vampires are here and we get this like incredible intro of danny houston who plays the head vampire mouth mouthful of fucking shark teeth but in a suit these vampires are mm. so cool like you said because they are like they look like 
they don't even look like, but they don't look gothic because it's not like well dressed like Interview the Vampire stuff. It's like plain suit, and he's got these crazy ass nails and the teeth, and he puts his. He says they kill this this family, and he puts his finger on a record and like mm. makes this announcement to everybody, and then that's when we get this like horrific massacre scene of like things on fire, vampires jumping on everyone, blood spurting out of wounds, and it's just like this incredible opening sequence that I think is so amazing but it's also to the detriment of the movie because like how about you it it feels like it peaks so hard right there that it's like hard to keep up that momentum i think in this movie and the end whatever we'll get there but i just i think that they just build to this and then when it's like has this all this crazy music and then it goes really quiet and we just have the bird's eye view of people running and trying to shoot and it's just like and all the blood splats on the white snow snow. and you're just like like, my stepdad, who's kind of hard to, like, get a reaction from, he was like, holy shit, at that part. And I was like, yes, I got a re- I always felt so excited when he had a reaction like that. <laughs> Just, like, fist pumping, I like, know. yes, vampires, let's go. Like, See, I told you I always had a good taste in movies. He never ever said I didn't. But I just always felt pride when I found a movie the adults liked. Like, it was always so cool. But, like, god damn, that setup is so good. And, like, you get to know the inner workings of Eben and Stella's relationship and that they're separated. And she's getting pressure from everyone to, like, stay. And we get the dynamics between the grandma and the brother. And the grandma has cancer and she's smoking pot. And, like, it's all of this really interesting character things are freckle are, like, speckled in without taking up too much space. And, yeah, like, watching this now with, like, the whole, like, separated apart narrative is, like, a little bit cliche. But that's okay. It's 2007. We have to have a love element. And also, like, I I did a talk a couple years ago about, like, post-9-11 anxieties in this movie. Because, like, as much as I love this movie, Evan's a fucking cop. Like, we got, like, Evan's yeah. a cop. And he likes being a cop. And yes, they are in Barrow, Alaska. But, like, it's just, like, he's a cop. And he is the hero of this. And he is the sacrificial lamb in this movie. And this movie does really Oh, my man, given the chance to be a martyr, is like, let's go. Will, I'm ready. Let's do zero. it again. He really that was. motherfucker had this much hesitation to sacrifice himself to turn into a vampire. Like, in, like uh, he was ready. He was ready to be the hero that everyone talks about. Like, the hero that we see in, like, all of these, like, post-9-11 movies about the, the male martyr rescuing the women and children. Like... It is so much playing on those tropes. And, like, again, I love this movie, but I know exactly what it's doing with this. Like, he is a hottie. I love him. But I also know that what his character is functioning as, as this, like, male martyr character who is like, save the oil. How dare they destroy the pipeline? America's America's gold. <laughs> they should have just, like, put, like, an eagle screech over that. <laughs> Um, America, fuck yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, it's it's so obvious what's kind of happening here in terms of like the outs like like the weird outsiders who can't speak English come in and invade this America this like small American town that has an oil pipeline that is like very important resource and there's a cop that has to protect and the manly men have to protect and the woman can't be a cop. It's just like there's some very early, uh late 2000s gender dynamics going on here and that well, I will say, I mean, Melissa George's character is a fire marshal and she carries a gun. Like, oh, yeah. She, and she was a cop too. She was a 
cop before she left. Like, she was a cop there, I think, before she left. I feel like at some point in the movie, everyone is a cop. <laughs> like, it goes, to, it's like the very first scene and they walk into, it's like the grandma's in there, the brother's in there, and they just are all hanging out being like, another day of coppery, I suppose. Yeah, like, we were going to play a board game uh, and, like, check the computers and work as the police, like, the police station. And, like, yeah, I guess you could argue that it's not, it's not the same in Alaska, but you're still cops, like... And we see him give, like, parking tickets for stuff, like, dumb shit. And you're like, come on, brother. Like, I love that he's like, that makes him feel part of the town. I'm like, can she just invite him to dinner? <laughs> Why are we giving him a citation yeah, to make him feel but, like, like part citations. of the town? And, yeah, like, it's definitely got some very regressive politics going on. And, you know, yeah, some could say I shouldn't read that hard into it. But it's also pretty obvious. Like, outsiders destroying pipeline pipeline setting town on fire cop man saves day but the vampires are still really cool but vampire very cool <laughs> very cool well you, you talked about the way that it builds dread and i would say that the first half of this movie is the best part the just the little yeah. the little seeing kind of how everything that's happening is sort of like clicking into place with Eben where he like find they first find the the pile of burnt satellite phones that they had mm -hmm. that have been stolen and he's like well that's strange and you know the, the Billy is like oh maybe it's just kids you know pranking he's like ah they would have been a lefting a note like fuck you like there's just there's like that moment and then we get to town and the dogs are slaughtered and he's just like there's something there's something going on but just the way that it, it sort of like is in this very isolated area already, the vampires are even more slowly isolating them. And it's 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 like all of these little locks that are clicking into place until the moment that, you know, the the big shot of the, of the town and whatnot. But I just I love the beginning part. And I forgot how how tense it is. And you're just like something bad is happening. You can feel it in your gut this entire time. But the movie is very restrained in this early part. The only thing we have is the scene eating <laughs> Ben Foster, the stranger who is just like, you talk about camp. His character is the campiest part of this movie. He's just like, Oh my gosh. The just chewing. him like handcuffed after being like, I'm going to pick the lock with this like parcheesi piece or whatever. It's yeah. like, yeah, go off, King. Go, sure. Give me a bowl of raw hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, what the fuck? He's like, you know, give me what I want to eat. We don't end. And he's like having it, like making a scene. And Evan's like, howdy, partner. No, no, no. And they sh yeah. I, he's such a weird character, but I love that because he's, he, I think he has to be that weird to make him even scarier. You know what I mean? Like, he's so different. You're like, how the fuck did you end up here? Like, wh what did you, how did you get to this place? Like, you could not be any more different than like what we are used to here. And like, that is a red flag because we are literally like at the top of the world. So like, what is going on here? And he always, and he's like telling him like, it's like, it's again, this movie falls out of horror tropes. Like the creepy guy, like offer, he's like the harbinger of death and is like sharing like their fate. And they're like, shut the fuck up. But it's still, the way it's framed and the way it's done is really creepy. Like the voice. Yeah, the, the way bit when he, when he's like, you know, Evan's trying to like ask him what's going on. And he's like, I don't talk to dead men. Yes. Oh, it was so that I love that line. That was, ooh, I got chills at that point. I was like, oh, we're in danger, ladies. Oh, <laughs> like, we you in danger, girl. <laughs> Ugh. And then it, and like you said, it picks up steam really quickly. And we have like everyone, like all the survivors gathering and like trying to figure out what to do and not understanding and being like, they're all in PCP. And it's like, 
nobody. Like, <laughs> he's like, oh, I'll have to on PCP. And they're like, I don't think it's PCP. And, and then, like, because we, we now have, like, our little cast of characters. We have, like, Eben. We have his brother. We have Stella. And then we also have um, one of the pipeline workers, one of these women that we see um, earlier in the film. We have... Who I um, think was going to have a threesome? Yeah, there was going to be a threesome at one point, and a vampire takes away one of the guys. Good for them. There's the diner owner. There's a man, the guy, the operator of the helicopter, and his father with dementia. And then there is the guy, an older, an older man. I forgot his name, but so there's like a very small group of survivors who are now banding together. And as we start like going through their journey of like being hidden in addicts, it slows down a little bit, and it's a little, it, it's, it, it loses momentum a little bit. I will say. And I listened to the commentary and David Slade goes, yeah, we kind of lost track of what, how days had passed and we kind of fucked up the, uh, how much time had passed. So, uh, oops. And he like, he openly meant, cause you don't really get a sense of like time passing in this. Like, it's like, oh, all of a sudden it's been like two weeks and it's very confusing. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, we didn't. Oops. And so it was the funny just to hear him go like, eh, oh well. We messed that one up, but it's fine. Who among us hasn't looked at their timeline and gone, eh, whatever? <laughs> oh yeah, how much? We'll time- figure it out. <laughs> how much time has passed? Uh, I don't know. Fourteen days. Does that make sense? That's fine. Don't worry about it, guys. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that they were actually going through an entire month until like the eighteen yeah. days came on the screen, and I was like, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. We are going through this whole this whole entire time because I've this is only the second time I've seen this movie. I saw it once in the movie theater when it first came out. I would have been 26 at the time and I loved it up until the end. I mm. and I still think because like I feel like the most of it is very grounded. It's it's very. Yes, the 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 monsters are fantastic at parkour and they're just flipping flopping around all over the place but like it feels really grounded in these characters and in this place that i grew up in alaska and so like it Mm -hmm. it felt sort of like this this very real down-to-earth thing and then all of a sudden he's shooting up vampire blood and turning into a vampire and i'm like okay that was such a wild choice because it truly like the word distraction is breathed around this man and he like he just jumps up he's like yes let's do it let's go and then it gets to the end Yeah, it's like, oh, no, she's trapped under the car and the oil is coming. And I'm like, and your reaction is to, okay. (laughs) Shoot up some vampire blood and... (laughs) Let's go. Let's... (laughs) With, like, no knowledge of whether or not that's going to do anything. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Knowing full well that, like, I mean, he says, you know, at one point, like, oh, that people are retaining their humanity a little bit. I'm like, okay, but you don't know what the difference is going to be if you're shooting up blood vice getting bit. Like, what, what, what is happening here? You could just, just immediately turn scratched. on your people and slaughter them. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. the only part. And it's still on the, on this rewatch. It's the only part that I do not like about this movie because it reminded me that this is based on a comic as opposed to, and that's nothing to say bad things about comic, but it just, it felt like, it didn't yeah. feel. It felt like jumping the shark a bit in terms of the more down to earth, very grounded relationship, and it almost felt like a Deus Ex Machina moment. It's like, how are we going to get out of this? How am going to shoot up some vampire blood and turn into a superpower vampire and kill the lead guy, and then everyone else will, will, will flee? And I'm like, I don't think that that was the way to go. But other than that, I, I think I really enjoyed this movie on, on seeing it in the movie theater, and I don't know why I haven't watched it as much since then. So I was really glad to be able to to revisit it um, because I, I think as someone that lived in Alaska and I granted, I lived in the Southern part, I lived near Anchorage. It's 
Um, we do get weird times of day where it's like in the summertime, the sun would, would set about midnight and come up at like four or five in the morning. And then in the reverse time, it'd be like kind of the opposite. And so like seeing that seeing kind of like the isolation of, of Alaska as someone that lived there for eight years, it was, it was really kind of cool to see. And I think it's a great setting. I am a huge fan of isolated horror. Isolated horror is my favorite. The thing or like being underwater in like an underwater laboratory, like sphere or something, or even in this one being just separated from society where there's nowhere to go. It just, it's that kind of setting that I just, it's my favorite. <laughs> I'm also a huge fan, which as you're saying that, I realize I did that with this delicious death where they kind of get stuck in yeah. this like canyon or valley, I mean, and there's like one road in or out. So it is kind of that same sense of being enclosed and being trapped. And it worked really re well in this movie, especially when they do like as much as the, the scenes of them hiding in the attic are very like you know, we've, where's the action? It also does, it adds that sort of confining yeah. sense yeah. that is really effective. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think this movie is so, is like so nihilistic. It like the ending kind of feels like you're betraying it a little bit. And I, and like, I get that you're trying to follow a comic, the graphic novel and everything, but it just like, you know, we have the scene where they watch, they're in the, the in the attic, they watch this young girl who's being sent out as bait, who is screaming oh, for yeah. help. And they're, and they're, you know, his, Evan's brother said, I know her. Like, I've known her since we were kids. And he's like, don't go out there. Look on the roof. And there's vampires on the roof, like, waiting for people to come out to help her. And, you know, she goes, there's no one left, which means, like, they've been keeping, basically, pets to tease people out. And when she's begging for God, this, like, you know, the famous line, like, God? Mm. No God. And then he, they feast on her. And it's like... There is such an incredibly nihilistic streak in this movie. It's so fucked up. It, it's just like, no one is safe. And yeah, like our hero dies, but we all, it's like the sacrifice. So it's not the same thing mm -hmm. as like, it's they left her under, almost. They left, yeah, they left her under the car with the kid. They survived when the sun came up and she burned to death. And now they have to live with their choices. But maybe that's just me being a sad bitch. But it just feels like more authentic to like the rest mm -hmm. of the story in terms of like, what has been happening and how like everyone we've been watching people get picked off in the saddest of ways. Like when the guys with the, the man with dementia runs out mm, of the house yeah. looking for his wife and his son is trying to find him in the snowstorm and they can't. And it's just like, and Billy killing his wife and kids, but then the oh. gun jamming and he's by himself. It's just like tragedy after fucking tragedy. And then having this ending, it is like, it, again, to, to very 2007, like there's hope, even if there's like bad things happening. And it's like, yeah, the the ending scene of them like sitting on the hill, watching as the sun finally rises again after a while. And you're just like, oh, oh, okay, this is very Hollywood. This is uh -huh. very like, American storytelling of like, we have to make sure that there's still like a nugget of hope at the end of what has been a very nihilistic film. Yeah. And I, I know that like the script went through a lot of revisions in terms of like with Steve Niles came up the, the concept of it was pitching around and then it got, when it finally got picked up, then they brought in other people to like tinker with it. And then more people tinkered with it. And by the time David Slade was on, he tinkered with it a little bit. They went through a couple different, drafts and revisions from different writers. And I do think that there is a little bit of disjointedness 
in the final script of this. I think the script is probably the weakest part of this. I think most of it of what really works for me is the the visual storytelling and the cinematography and the the acting I think is really good in this too. And I think that that sort of elevates what is kind of a patched worthy script in some ways. And I, I do think, especially on this rewatch, I do think that you can kind of feel that this has a number of different hands in the pot in terms of like mm-hmm. trying to make it close to the novel or, or close to the graphic novel or trying to like honor it, but not be as, as close to it. And I think there is a little bit of headbutting in terms of the way that the script kind of came together based on all the, the, the different drafts of it. But I still think it's a, a very effective movie. And what I really enjoyed again, kind of going back to the isolation. I love sto- I love Alaska is a weird place. <laughs> there are people there, like where, where I lived, there was a lot of military families because um, there was a there's a, a base, and that's uh, that's why we were there. My dad was stationed at at the um, at Elmendorf Base in Alaska, so you would have like people that either a have lived there their entire life, um, or you have people that are going there to escape. Like even they say in the movies, like you know, we're a lot of us came to Barrow for that freedom, like because there's you're so isolated, mm-hmm. you're so away from everyone that if you're running from a dark past or if you're trying to like hide, it's the perfect place to go. And so there's a lot of weird people (laughs) that were up there, either people that were there briefly or people that are hiding from someone or people that moved up there and just love the outdoors. But there are parts of Alaska that are so isolated. I remember there's a story, have you guys ever heard of Whittier, Alaska? Sounds familiar. You'll have to say what it's known for and then I'm sure that'll trigger it. So it's a town. It's It's a sleepy town on the west side of the Prince William Sound. And it is... The only way to it is either either by sea or through a tunnel in a mountain. That is the only way through. At some points of the day, the tunnel is one way only, so you can only get through it at certain times. And at night, it closes up. So if you're stuck outside of it, you're not getting into town because the mountain is closed. And everyone pretty much lives in a 14-story building um, that was a former army barracks. And it looks kind of like an aging hotel. And oh, so, like, everyone pretty much lives I in this hotel. I've heard of this weird thing. It's so wild to me. But that's, that's like, that's what you get here. I'm, I'm sharing in chat a, uh, the article link where you can kind of see the, the hotel. But this is basically, like, that's basically where everyone lives. And there's, like, a post office and there's, like, a, a, a good store and everything. But everyone lives in this one building that is so isolated that you can either only have to get to it from sea or hopefully you can get through that tunnel because it closes. It's it's so wild to me, but this is this is typical like Alaskan life, particularly if you, as you get further north in it. And I think that Barrow, uh, Alaska, in this really kind of captures that that same feeling so incredibly well. And it's a real place. My grandpa's been there, yeah, because he is in the Navy. And I was like, "Wait, you've been to Barrow, Alaska?" He's like, "Yeah. Do you know what Barrow, Alaska is?" I'm like, "Do I know what Barrow, Alaska is?" <laughs> I am intimately I familiar am with intimately Barrow, in fact. <laughs> I could draw you a map of Barrow, Alaska. <laughs> Instead of like those people who go to Forks, Washington for tourism stuff, you're just like, we're heading up to Barrow. Let's go. I thought, I thought about it before I have, but I'm like, ooh, that's a pain in the ass. And there's like nothing. It's not really like, there's nothing there. It's like, why? there's no reason to go, but it's just kind of nothing. I mean, you could go to up. the bar and try to order some like raw meat. And- <laughs> <laughs> who is this bitch? All like the people that are there are like hardened outdoorsmen or like oil, oil refinery workers. And you're like, get out. <laughs> And I, I, I do think because there, I mean, like the Barrow in, in this movie is is a very heavily fictionalized version of oh, the Barrow because it's like 
They, they I'm sorry, you're telling me that they don't typically have vampire attacks up there? Well, I mean, even that aside, like, they getting air out is not as dire as they make it seem like in this, where it's like she has to get to the airport on time. That's not true. And But it is, it is, um, there's this, this quote uh, from Cold Adventures, Cold Adventures in the World's Frozen Places, where they say, Barrow, like most communities in Alaska, looks temporary, like a pioneer settlement. It is not. Barrow's among the mm-hmm. oldest permanent settlements in the United States. Hundreds of years before the European Arctic explorers showed up, Barrow is more or less where it is now, a natural hunting place at the base of a peninsula that pokes into the sea. Oh, and shit. So, like, mm. it's, 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 there's a lot of history with it. And I think it's actually changed its, its name to honor the Inuits that 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 um oh, live there. Cool. I cannot pronounce this word, but yeah, it's um it's it's so far up north that I just it's amazing. It's amazing to think about how like isolated, how wildernessy, how kind of well last frontier Alaska really kind of is, and it still is that way in a lot of places today. It's wild. There was. There was something I was going to add about that because, okay, there was an issue. I remember because in the, in the graphic novel, Eben's last name is a little bit is different. And it's, a, it's a specifically, I think, Inuit last name and they change it in the movie oh. to something more white. Mm. So there is definitely some like not so great also erasure of like the Inuit culture that they were trying to talk about a little bit in the graphic novel. So just, fl- I remember seeing that somewhere and being like, oh, that's kind of gross. Like, you cast Josh, you, you cast a hottie like Josh Hartnett, but then you change the last name, so you, and it's like, oh, I don't like that. I'm not a yeah. huge fan of that choice, but I just wanted to bring acknowledge the indigenous stuff that they definitely like white. They whitewash a lot of Barrow. Like they oh, show you some yeah, images really of like, look, this person looks like an Inuit person, right? They've got a fuzzy hood, and it's just like. Okay, so they kind of they whitewash a lot of Barrow, I think, in this movie. Yeah, because. Well, because uh, there's a in 2010, the sense the census said there were 4,212 people living in the city, and the racial make- makeup was 60% Alaskan Native, 16% White, 0.9% African, 8.9 Asian, 2.3 Pacific Islander. But like the majority of it, the people that live there are are Inuits, Alaskan Native, and so it's 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 an, it's I always find it interesting when when people take that subject and then just whitewash everything about it because you're right Mary yeah. Beth aside from like a, like I think we see like an Asian person and like a couple people of color it's mostly white 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 and that is it's not the, the truth of Barrow yeah <laughs> but that happens so many times in movies I know it's a bummer you know but I wanted to acknowledge it yeah absolutely um is there anything else you want to hit on before we wrap up I guess one sort of funny outcome of watching this movie is that I did develop like a very intense fear of vampires. Oh, okay. Oh, as a 13 year old, I was very afraid of vampires after this. And I did and I have pictures of it. I slept with an actual stake, like a wooden stake underneath my pillow for a full calendar year. After watching 30 Days of Night, even though in the mythos of the movie that would do nothing, I convinced myself. So I also stole this steak. I went to Home Depot <laughs> with my mom and I, <laughs> and I was like, I need to protect myself from vampires and I have to take the initiative here because I was like, mom, I need a steak. She's like, you absolutely do not. That's 
deranged. So I just slipped it into my backpack and stole it from the Home Depot. And then I like colored the end of it with a red Sharpie to look like it had blood on it. So it seemed a little bit more badass. But I like legitimately slept with a steak under my pillow for a full year after watching this movie. <laughs> Kaylee, you and I would have been such good friends because like I when I was a kid, all I would get from horror movies is and I've mentioned this in the podcast before is how to kill monsters. I would be like, okay, well, <laughs> if this monster comes, I know that this is what's going to be effective for it. I had one of my friends because I was obsessed with vampires growing up. I had one of my friends who was Catholic. He went to he went to his church and got me a vial of holy water that I kept by my bed in case I wanted to like, I needed to splash it on some vampire. Like I get, I get you. It's funny that you stole a steak from Home Depot and hide it under your pillow. But that's, that's behavior that I had too, as a kid. Like I would, I would, you tell me like what kind of creature up against me. Like, Oh, well you can kill it with this, 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 and this. I know because of this movie and this movie and this movie. So I, I, I completely I think understand that. Kids that. are more ready for the apocalypse than anyone Absolutely. else. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's like, there's something about that mindset of being a child where you're like, I have very little power, but you know what I do have? The ability to sleep with a steak under my pillow or get a vial of holy water. <laughs> I will take control of my situation and I will come out victorious. I wanted to be a vampire. So I was like, yeah, I, w- I wanted it. I was a weirdo and was like, well, not at this point at, at seeing this movie. I think I was a little too old for that. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> This came out sort of like again in that in that Twilight time frame. You said you were a fan of Twilight. Did seeing yeah, this huge. affect any of your like relationship to the to the vampires in that movie or in, the, in that series afterwards at all? Well, I just I knew that. So I actually didn't like the vampires in Twilight as much as I liked the werewolves. I was okay. very much like a Team Jacob. I was going to say Team Jacob. Wow. Yeah. Um, Team Jacob and so girly. I was like, well, this is just further proof, isn't it? <laughs> This is this is the real stuff. This is what Edward would be doing if Stephanie Meyer weren't a coward. Yes. But like I still I still loved the series and it it made it almost like a a sort of thing where I was like I do want to kiss a vampire, but it will need to then step 3 feet away from me. <laughs> No necking. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. No. <laughs> hey, hey, my face is up here. Get away from that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Please stop staring at my jugular. It's eyes up here. <laughs> eyes up. Eyes up. Just get like a choker necklace that say my eyes are up here with two arrows. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. That'd be amazing. Oh my God. You, what, what team were you on? Jacob. No, no not Jacob. No, I wasn't Jacob. I wasn't oh. Jacob. I was Edward. I wanted to be a va- I wanted vampires. They were like so hot, and it was just ideal. I wanted to be in the vampire family. I wanted to live forever and be hot and have your That's skin very sparkle valid. Like diamonds. Yeah, fuck. Why not? <laughs> fuck. It's fine with me. Whatever. I feel like there was maybe a plot point with the werewolves where they were maybe functionally immortal. Maybe not. There was so- there was some kind of thing. I, I feel cannot- like introduced. Yeah. To try and make it seem like Jacob and Renesme could be like dicking around forever uh, in the same uh, way that her parents were yeah uh, <laughs> which wow mm-hmm. <laughs> great Meyer one lost stuff the plot, lost the plot i thought oh man oh man oh man twilight even at age 13 i read the last twilight book and was like man this is garbage <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. yeah, they really kind of fell off there for a bit, or yeah. all the way. I would have rather they sat on a snowy hill and watched the sunset rise and have Edward and Bella turn to ash very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> also, honestly, it would have been even better if Eben was like, I'm your leader now, and like led the vampire gang. You know what I mean? Because they, cause they yeah. all fucking ran off. Like, they're not dead. Like, that, they're so, like he didn't, he didn't really, like, do much, like, in the grand scheme, if you like think about the scale of it, like he, he only he killed one just of got them. Punched a lot. Yeah, he just like punched the whole head out of one of them, which is an incredible frame right out of the graphic novel, which is I'm obsessed with. But like they all leave, and like yeah, I, it's a I whole don't know why society of vampires. Like, well, because the sun's coming up, and I think they're like, I am not equipped to handle this, and I I, I do kind of vibe with that. They're like, nah. Like, you know what? We had our 30 days of night. We are, we're headed, we're headed home. See you guys. <laughs> yeah, like, whatever. I'm done. Like, he was a dick anyway. Oh, we could like, have taken Marla... two more minutes and murdered everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know. They don't. <laughs> Marlo and his stupid suit are gone. Let's go. <laughs> Marlo and his stupid Finally, someone killed suit. that guy. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, what a movie. Uh, what a picture. Then Terry, how yes. many... Bird's eye view massacres out of five. Do you give thirty oh, days of night? Iconic. That iconic. you know. That's the thing. When I was watching this, when I was watching it again, I remembered precisely two things from it. I remembered the overhead view, and I remembered the the twist. Well, not the twist, but him injecting the blood into himself. And those are the two oh, things I, I remembered about seeing this movie. When he said that, I thought that was so hot. <laughs> mm. That's wrong with me. Mm. <laughs> 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 I can smell your blood, and I was like. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I love that. Oh my god. Uh, but so so it was kind of fun rewatching this uh for again probably the first time since I saw it in the movie theater. I think it holds up really well. I have some issues with the more comic booky natures that get introduced and I do think the first half is a lot stronger than the second half, but I really enjoy this one. I think it I think the vampires in this are just absolutely fantastic. I love the the way their nose it made them almost look little feline, and the, their screeches and stuff was very animalistic. It just, I don't know. It, this is like, if I want vampires, I want vampires like this. I want terrifying, feral, not like brooding in a castle. Life is so horrible, kind of vampires. I want <laughs> the ones that are just gonna fucking tear your throat out and do parkour all over town. Like, give me that. So for, I, the I know parkour for me, was fun. <laughs> I love they're just like jumping. jumping (laughs) I feel like if you're a vampire, what is the point of being a vampire if you can't do a sick flip every now and again? You know, exactly. If you could jump off a goddamn roof and bounce around, like why wouldn't you do this? Shit, I'd be flipping left and right. (laughs) (laughs) Why walk? Who's that bitch flipping down the street? That's just a vampire, Mary Beth. She's really excited about being able to just flip all the time. Well, I think about, like, uh, Underworld, too, where, where Kate Beckinsale just walks off oh the building and goes fl- flying down to the ground. I'm like, yes, this is... That's the first R-rated movie I ever saw. Oh, was, was it really? Was, I think, like, the second Underworld movie, which I watched without the context of the first Underworld movie. <laughs> so everything seemed so, You're so, like, I, so wild. So lost. <laughs> What's happening? Who are you people? I was like, who is this guy? I Wait, he's a vampire? No, wait, he's a werewolf? It's Okay, well, everyone's <laughs> wearing leather it's skin tight i'm bi i'm having a great time <laughs> that's basically i mean that that's is... it that's all you really needed it's just like i'm having a good time I'm just watching some books I mean, that's a good bi movie between scott speedman and uh kate beckinsale like oh i was on. eating there's well. something for everyone Oof. yeah 
I can imagine because I was like closeted at that point. And I'm like, ooh, Scott Speedman, he is so cute. And just like his, uh, his rip. Yeah. Anyway, this is not, this is not an under underworld uh, <laughs> discussion, but good Lord. It, <laughs> it deserves a shout out though. Does. Another incredible piece of, of vampire media. And Bill Nighy in that as like the vampire. Oh, so okay. good. Anyway, this movie, I think it's a four. It's, I think it's four bird's eye view massacres out of five for me. What about you, Mary Beth? So like from a critical adult perspective, it is a four, but like in my heart of teenage hearts, it is a five. So we'll split the difference and do a four and a half with that half star being a bunch of nostalgia on how much. Like I, I was fully prepared when I thought I wanted kids to name my child Eben. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I respect it. I really I, do. I am telling you, this movie changed my a feral creature for this movie when I was a child. Like ready to name children after that. Like what? And when I would when I would tell boy boyfriends psychotic behavior don't ever do that anyone don't tell a boyfriend what you know to name your babies especially when you're like in your, like don't do that psychotic behavior they were like you mean evan i'm like no evan and everyone, no i do not no, no. <laughs> yeah so this movie just like occupies a very weird space in my brain and i love it so much as i have talked about ad nauseum all the time and i was so glad that we got to talk about it today and talk about how good it is and also its problems cuz it's also like super important not just it's technical but like weird indigenous erasure stuff that like people don't mm. really think about but it was just awesome to be able to chat about this so um four and a half uh, massacre birds eye view massacres for me and then kayla you have the fun word how many birds eye view massacres out of 5 do you give 30 days of night i would give it maybe 3.5 Bird's cool. Eye View Massacres. Hell yeah. But I would give it five out of five blood scarves. Hell, Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> just uh, needs to stay warm and the Alaskan cold. Just, he just needs it's, <laughs> He's got to get cozy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you so much, Kayla, for joining us to talk about 30 Days of Night. Where can our listeners find you? And the floor is yours. What do you have to plug and what can you share? Yeah, so you can find me um, on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, just under Kayla Cottingham. My Twitter handle is Peculiarity, T like the beverage, and I'm Kcotcan on Instagram. Uh, you can buy my books wherever books are sold. Um, if you're looking for an indie to get them from, I do uh, signed copies from All She Wrote Books in Somerville, Massachusetts. Oh, cool. And yeah, feel free to to follow me to hear more weird takes about things that I did when I was 13, like stealing steaks from Home Depot. Hell yeah. <laughs> so listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. What was your experience with 30 Days of Night? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm McGeely Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want to help support us, we do have a Patreon. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time.
and you want to have fun and have scratchers to scratch, there's a playful way you can do just that. Scratch with the key or acrylic nail. Scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail. Use a belt buckle from your friend Lamar. Or scratch with your pick while you play guitar. You can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways. Scratchers from the California Lottery. A little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.